Without you, life is meaningless. You are everything. Lord, if we can ever grasp that fact, that everything we need is found in you, Lord, and as we lift you up, as we seek you first, as we make you central to our lives, the center focus of everything that our life revolves around, dear God, everything will fall into place as you see fit. There's no better place to be than in the center of the will of the Lord. Dear God, and we can get there. We can get there, Father, by making our lives a lifestyle of worship and exalting you in the lives that we live and showing you that you are worthy by the way we live our lives. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that not only during this time would we lift you up and exalt you, Lord, but as we go about our week, the things we say, the things we do, the way we live would exalt your name and your name alone and point people to Jesus and his great sacrifice and his great love for us. Oh, we love you, Lord. We exalt you. And there is no other name lifted high as yours, Lord. So today we praise you. Today we exalt you. Today we worship you because you are worthy. And we ask God, do a work in this place as we worship you. Change people's lives, change people's hearts. And when we leave this place, we will have been better because of being in the presence of a mighty, loving, worthy God. Thank you, Father. Have your way. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we ask and pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. Man, that, that song made me think of a, of a book I read very recently, it was 
It's a book called I Dared to Call Him Father, and it was about a Muslim woman in the 60s uh, who gave her life to Christ, who God uh, just miraculously revealed himself to her in Pakistan. And in the book, she talks about how without a community like we enjoy, she, all she had to rely on was the presence of the Lord. She said, and the song said, your presence is all I want, all I need. Without it, I'm, I'm nothing. And, and she literally said those words. She said, I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to have an attitude. I didn't want to let something come out of my mouth that would separate me from the presence of the Lord. So we are blessed people this morning because not only can we experience his presence as we worship him, but we can experience his presence together. And that, by the way, is a big deal. So now we're week three into 40 days of worship. And uh, I want to read to you, let's just jump right in our series text that we've read every week. It's Psalm 95 verses six and seven. And it says these words, come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. I want you to turn to somebody and say, you better listen. Turn to your second choice and say, you better listen today. So week one, we talked about, we answered the question, what is worship? And, and we use words like submission and surrender and conviction and adoration. And then last week, we asked the question, why do we worship? And Trent showed you a very powerful illustration that we worship as a response to God for the incredible gift of his son, Jesus. So today we're going to ask the question, where do we worship? Actually, for the next two weeks, we're going to answer the question, where do we worship? So uh, today we're we're going to talk about corporate worship, when we worship in community. And I'm going to tell you, again, it's a big deal. Do you know why? Because we're wired for community. I think I can prove it to you. Shall I? Have you ever been in a restaurant? And at a table, there's more than two women there. You know exactly where I'm going. And one of them has to go to the restroom. They all go. And then they stay there for a very, very, very long time. And you're like, what took you so long? You're like, there was a line. Yes, there was a line. You took the line with you. Now, before you laugh, gentlemen, have you ever seen a guy working on his car and then the other guys show up? And here's what you see. Well, there's your problem right there. There's your problem right there. It's the motor. That's the problem. It's the motor. Be over at a guy's house and him say, I got a brand new power tool in the garage. Guess where you're going immediately at that moment? To the garage. You're not going to do any work with it. It's probably still in the box. But you're going to admire it. 
because we're wired for community. We like to do things together. So what I want to do <laughs> is take one passage of Scripture, well, basically one passage of Scripture, and we're just going to unpack it over the next little while to see how you and I are indeed wired to worship in community. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll read verse 12 to 21, then I'll read verse 26 and 27. And here, I'm going to do something we very rarely do, but I want to do this together today, okay? It's going to be on the screen behind me. I want everyone in the room that can see that screen and it not be blurry, because I'm looking at that one back there and it looks, looks like... I, I want you to read it out loud with me. Will you do that? Everybody in the room, read along with me. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, you don't have it apparently, so just listen... I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, this, where would be the sense of hearing? That was amazing. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Okay, that was, that was a colossal failure. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is Paul's way of telling us why it's important to worship in community. Because together we are the body of Christ. And each one of us carries significance and importance. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. We're going to answer the question, why do we worship in community? We worship in community, first of all, because Jesus understood the power of community. In fact, he said these words in Matthew chapter 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Jesus told us it was important that you worship together. Jesus told us that and gave us a promise if just two of you will gather together in my name, I'm, I promise you I'll be there. If just two of you will gather together in my name, you won't be alone. I'll be there with you. In fact, Scripture records that Jesus only did two things in isolation. We only have a record of Jesus doing two things in isolation. He rested and he prayed. The bulk of his ministry, the bulk of everything that Jesus did while he was on the planet was in the context of community. He fed the 
5,000. He healed the multitude. He was among other people. And if Jesus had to have some disciples around him, if Jesus had to worship in community, then you need to worship in community. The biggest lie the enemy has told our culture is that the church is optional. And it's a big lie. I'm going to tell you that the church isn't optional. Well, Dwayne, you have to say that you're a pastor. No, I'm a pastor because the church isn't optional. I believe in this institution so much that this, this, is, this is my life. Because I, I've seen with my own eyes and my own life the power that a community can do for someone. The power that, that worshiping community can, the impact it can have on a young man's life who was struggling, who didn't understand what his next step was going to be. And then he was introduced to Jesus in the context of community. And some people wrapped their arms around me and discipled me and helped me. And I'm going to tell you that you need to be a part of it. It is not optional. It's not. Jesus understood the power of community. And there is power in community. And that's some of the things I'd like to talk to you about today. I told them in the prayer room that I was going to make some of you mad. And I'm very excited about that. (laughs) But what I'd love for you to do is open your hearts today. And I I want you to open your eyes and open your minds into what God might be trying to teach each of us. And you're like, Dwayne, why are you talking to us? We're here. I want you to understand before you leave today just what a vital part being connected to the body of Christ is. So Jesus understood the power of community. The second thing I want you to understand is that we find unity in our diversity. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13, two verses, and I want you to count the ones with me. For just as the body is one And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Five ones in two verses. And at the same time, he said, but we're all different. He said they're Greeks and Jews, slaves are free. If it were our context, it would be Democrats and Republicans. It would be Georgia Bulldog fans and heathens. I've been waiting all day to say that. I have been waiting. No, sorry, that's, that's awful. It would be Americans and Middle Easterners. It'd be White people and black people. He would say, if he were talking to us today, that though you may be different out there, though you may live different lives, though you may have different political affiliations, though you you may have different ethnic backgrounds, though you may have whatever might separate you out there, doesn't matter in here. (laughs) Now, I I don't talk a lot about my Political affiliation. I think you you guys know where I lean. You know, I I believe in the Constitution. I believe in the freedom of speech. I believe in the right to bear arms. I believe in all that stuff. Can I just tell you, if you don't, it doesn't matter in here. Oh, you didn't like that one. If you don't believe in those things, it doesn't matter in here. 
You're not going to like this, but Jesus probably wasn't a Republican. <laughs> See, you may, you may walk around with a Make America Great Again 2020 hat. You may be riding a Bernie bus. It doesn't matter in here. Okay, can I, can I say it without the chuckles this time? It doesn't matter in here. No matter where you're born, no matter what you look like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. That's the way it's supposed to be in the body of Christ. And I saw this. Some of you guys know Priscilla Shire. I saw this video she was sharing, and, and she said, uh, I refuse to be labeled as a black Christian woman. She said, I'm a Christian woman who happens to be black. I refuse to be labeled a white redneck Christian. I'm a Christian man who happens to be, I'm not a redneck. Did y'all enjoy Trent's last sermon last week? Play with me, I got a microphone. Listen, I'm just going to tell you like I said it in my office. I, I got, I'm not going to point my finger when I say it, though. If you hate somebody because they look differently than you, but born in a different place than you were, if you wouldn't welcome somebody in that door because they're not in your political agenda, you don't welcome somebody in that door because they might not speak the language as well as you do. You need to repent. Today. Now. You've never come across anyone in your life that Jesus didn't die for. Now, hear, hear me well. Now, I'm not, I, 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 don't, I don't believe in the Muslim faith. I don't believe and what they stand for. I don't believe it, that the Quran is an inspired word of God. I don't want you to listen very carefully. If I were, if you were, born in Pakistan, guess what you'd probably be? Oh, no, yes, you probably would be. You'd probably be a Muslim. And so before you point a finger of judgment at somebody else, you better thank God that his grace and mercy allowed you to understand the gospel. I'm going to tell you in these last days, there is simply no room for us to... Everybody in the room love me right now? Because I'm, I'm, I don't know any other way to say it. There's simply no room for us to let the crap that's going on out there invade the church. The hatred. The division. There's no room for it here. I don't know how else to say it. I don't know how I can say it more plainly. If, if there's a group of people that you don't like, you need to repent. If you're judging a whole group of people because of the actions of a few, you need to repent. If you're judging a whole group of pe people because of the color of their skin or where they were born or the language they speak, you need to repent. Period. Because in here, we find unity in our diversity. And when that happens, something beautiful takes place. The things that divide us fall away.
And all that matters is the cross of Christ and the blood that was shed there. Because listen, no matter what we look like in here, we all bleed red. And at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. Don't you... Don't you dare withhold the grace of God from somebody because they look differently than you. Don't you dare withhold the grace of God because of some stereotype that you've been, has been firmly... Listen, I grew up with them. I had to relearn a lot of things that I'm still struggling with. I had to relearn a lot of things. I grew up in a lily-white neighborhood, went to a lily-white high school. And I'm going to tell you that Jesus died for more than white people. He died for more than Republicans, and he died more than Americans. Now listen, I love my nation. I love my country. I'm so thankful that I was born in the good old USA. I'm also thankful that Jesus died for that lady in Pakistan who grew up Muslim. I'm so thankful that and I, I just want you to, can you hear my heart today? When you leave this room today, make sure you remember that. All right. See, I, I, I remember this four and a half minute video that Trent showed us last week. And who was here last week, just so I know? Four and a half, four and a half minute video. And so I just have a, I have a question for those of you that watched that four and a half minute video last week. What racial divide, what ethnic tension, what political difference or agenda is more powerful than what you saw in those four and a half minutes? Nothing. I saw it again this week. week there was and, and those of you that are active on social media have probably seen the video clip I'm getting ready to show you I was blown away because there's this young man who is facing the woman that had murdered his brother and and those of you that have been even paying attention on a tertiary level to what's been going on in the news, know that this had the potential to be a, a firestorm. Because the young man that was shot was African American. The, the person that did the shooting was a white woman. And it had the potential to explode. But one man and the grace of God shut it all down. And I'm not sure, but I got a funny feeling that this young man worshipped in community somewhere. What's, what's, what's the power of forgiveness? If you truly are sorry, I know. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. 
and I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. Sure there's a lot of hugging going on at a murder trial. I, I think that's what it's supposed to look like. I, I think when, I'd be a fool to say that we're not different because, listen, everybody in this room is different. Some of y'all are real different. <laughs> but something beautiful happens when we gather together in the name of Jesus. Yes. All of that just doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. So when we worship together, we find unity in our diversity. We find significance. Anybody want your life to matter? 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 17 says, For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The foot shouldn't, should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Would that make it any less a part of the body? If the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, would, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? We live in a culture of fleeting significance. I'll, I'll prove that to you. There's probably two people in this room that can name the last five Super Bowl champions. Maybe two in this room. 
There might be one or two in this room that could name the fast, the fast, the last five best song Grammy. There might be two or three. Uh, uh, let's do a little experiment. How many could tell you, could tell me who was president the year you were born? Could you tell me who they beat to get into office? John Maxey. He could also tell you who your president beat. We live in a culture of fleeting significance. What is important today might not be so important tomorrow. I'm going to tell you that it, as a part of the body of Christ, you can find eternal significance. You may not know this, and they're not here today. Bill's sick. Bill and Connie Johnson taught my wife in Sunday school. If I tell you how long ago, then I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. But is, how old were you? Eight? Eight years. So, so 20 years. <laughs> See? <laughs> I ain't the smartest man in the world, but I ain't no fool either. <laughs> long time ago. The deposits that they made in her at eight years old, she is now making those same deposits into women every week. I started to bring this picture that I have in my office. It's one of my, honestly, most prized possessions. When we went to Statesboro as youth pastors, we walked into a firestorm. It was a very, very difficult situation. And, and we were there five years. And as we left a group of them got together and presented me with this, with this picture that they had commissioned a painter to paint for me. And it's, it's a picture of five sort of stick figures walking up a hill. And, and the first stick figure is, is kind of, it's, he's in a dark place, and it's obvious that you can see that he's in a dark place. And so it progresses up this hill, and the, the last stick figure has got his hands extended to God in worship, and the sun is shining on his face. And then underneath the hill, they wrote these words, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Let me tell you why that means so much to me. Because for five years, we fought hell. And to know that it mattered was a big deal to me. So you can find significance in the body of Christ. See, some of you come in this building and you do things that you think are insignificant, but they're not. I watch you when you don't know I'm watching you. That's a little creepy. I didn't mean that to come out quite like that. I was very, never mind. I'm aware of what you're doing. Is that better? When you, when, when you sweep the step and nobody's... When, when you're here and upstairs and pushing the buttons. <laughs> when you stand at that door and, and smile and greet people. It's funny. Uh, I, I was really planning on picking on Bill Johnson today. And I wish he was here. But, so you can all tell them that I tell him I did this. These guys that, that greet love to do it. 
They love to welcome people when they come in the door. And I'm always busting their chops about, y'all got to keep that door closed. The, the air conditioning is going out. You got to keep the door closed. And I went up to Bill last week, and he's standing there. <laughs> and I'm just watching the AC therms just. And I'm like, Bill, we got, we got to keep that door closed. Nope. like, oh, okay, I'm going to go back in my office because it's cool in my office. <laughs> There's always somebody in that room praying while I'm trying to share the gospel. All that stuff matters. You say, Dwayne, I don't sing, I don't preach. Can I tell you? That God has uniquely gifted you to do a work that, listen, only you can do. And it's significant. And it matters. I, so much so that I'd love to tell you this truth right now. That the most significant thing you'll ever do in your life. The most significant thing you'll ever do while you're sucking air and walking this sod is to help somebody else get to heaven. You'll never do anything that important. You'll no, never do anything that will last longer. And some of you do that and don't even realize it. You've told me, man, it means so much to know that I can put my prayer request at the bottom of that connection card. Well, somebody had to print that connection card. It, you say, it means so much to me that I can take notes and fill in these blanks and, and i got a, something to hold in my hand to help me, helps disciple me. Well, somebody had to put all that together. I'm so thankful that we come and we listen and, and we, we hear the, the worship music and it's so good. Well, somebody had to practice that and rehearse that, put all that together. See, what you think is insignificant is just the opposite. I've had people say to me, I don't, I don't have the gift of gab. I, it's hard for me to share my faith. But you know what you're really good at? Inviting people to get them in this room. And what's beautiful about this picture that we read in 1 Corinthians 12 is that we're all different. And we all have different abilities and gifts. But when we come together, God does something beautiful with it. and makes it count forever, for eternity. And oh, by the way, if you're missing, it matters. So we find significance. Not only do we find significance, we find purpose in community. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18 says, But as it is, God, let's look at this part. God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. God arranged God's an arranger. Some of you are arrangers. My wife is an arranger. I have this cool room in, in my house. Now, I want you to... I'm, I love this room. It's my man cave. And in my man cave are only man things. There's 
Now, somebody's going to push back and say, girls hunt and fish and like sports. I know that, but you're just not supposed to. <laughs> I just, wow. You ever, you ever find yourself like in a hole and the more you try to get out, the, the deeper you get? All right. So don't judge me. I was just playing. There's hunting stuff and fishing stuff and car stuff and sports stuff. And it looks cool. But guess who arranged every bit of that? My wife. Because if I would have done it, it would, it would look stupid. There'd just be stuff hanging everywhere. But it looks cool. You know why? Because somebody knows how to arrange, arranged it. So occasionally I'll let her come in there. Actually, I beg her to come in there, don't I, sweetie? Before these people judge me for that. I'm going to share something with you that I, I said for the first time, I believe when I baptized Clint Banks. But what I meant for him is true for every one of you. God didn't save you just from something. He saved you for something. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life. And listen, if you're not walking in it, I'm going to tell you where you'll find it. It's when you plug into the house of God. When you plug into the community of faith. When you plug into the body of Christ, if you'll do it, guess what will happen? God will reveal a purpose and a plan for you. I, I don't know how else to say that. He just will. That's one of the reasons we work so hard with Growth Track. And we, we're taking a, a month off so we can, we can tweak it a little bit and fix the book. But when we start back, you need to be a part of it. Because here's what you, you're going to find out what God has gifted you for and where that might fit in in the house of God. It's a big, big deal. Man, I, I don't want to live my, listen, I'm learning that, uh, man, time goes by kind of fast. It, it started when I got married and then when I had kids, it kicked into high gear. I can't imagine what it's going to be like now I've got a granddaughter. It just goes. I can't believe that I'm 39 years old. I can't believe that. Yeah, I told you I was creepy. So, is that true? Do you find time going by quicker and quicker and quicker? I don't want to live my life without purpose. I don't want to just wander through these how many ever years I'm on this planet, I want to do something that's going to last longer than me. I want to do something in my life that's purposed and significant. And I'm going to tell you the best place to find that is in the body of Christ. In the body of Christ. Hey, write this down. We need each other. If you can just testify that we need each other, just wave a hand so I know Yeah. We do. The eye cannot say to the hand, this is verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You're the body of Christ and individually members of it, verse 27. So I'm just going to say it like this. When you're in the middle of it, you need somebody. Now, the it that you're in the middle of may look different to different people. But when you're in the middle of it, and when I say you're in the middle of it, how many of you already know what I'm talking about? 
When you're in the middle of sickness, when you're in the middle of temptation, when you are hanging on to your sobriety by a thin thread, you need somebody. When you're in the middle of hardship, when you're in the middle of family drama, how many know there's no drama like family drama? Am I right about that? You need somebody. You've got people in your life that the only time you hear from them, the only time you hear from them is when their world's crashing down around them and they want you to pray for them. And you're the only one they know that knows how to pray, so they're going to call you. I, can I tell you that happens to me all the time? I got folks in my life, and I, I, I thought, Dwayne, you don't need to say that because it's, it'll, it'll be on the video and somebody might see it and get offended. Well, you're not here now, so it doesn't matter. That was awful. <laughs> I, have, I got people in my life. Listen, I, every, every time we have a special event, I'll send a text, I'll send an email, I'll send something to them and say, hey, man, we love you to come be a part of it and never get a reply. But let their world crash around and guess who they're going to call. Happens all the time. Please pray. Oh, and you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray. And I'm going to love. But I want you to listen to me. That's not how this is supposed to work. Can I show you how it's supposed to work? Matt and Trent's going to come help me show you how this is supposed to work. Because sometimes, sometimes you need me, and sometimes I need you. Am I right? See, there's going to be some times when Matt's struggling, his, his wife's misbehaving, <laughs> he's having a hard time with her. Actually, she was having a hard time with him last night because the Bulldogs were playing and their windows were up. <laughs> bad boy, bad boy. What you going to do when they call the law on you? So sometimes Matt's going to struggle. You know how it's supposed to work? It, we're, not, we're not off here in the periphery somewhere. And then only because I, I know this one person goes to church or when this one person is a pastor, I'm going I'm to call them when... My world comes crashing down. That's not how it's supposed to work. You know how it's supposed to work? When you're struggling, this is how it's supposed to work. When he can't walk on his own, somebody's going to gather around him. They're going to put their arms around him. And they're going to carry him. And oh, by the way, there's going to come a time. <laughs> hey, hang on a minute. Matt, let's pray. When Matt's strong, and he's going to help pick up somebody else. Help me, Holy Ghost. <laughs> and there may come a time when I'm struggling, and these boys are going to wrap their arms around me and eat their Wheaties. That's how it's supposed to work. We bear each other's burdens. When you're struggling, you ought to be able to call on people who are in your spiritual family and let them carry you. And oh, by the way, it's not a one-way relationship. You need to look out for somebody. You, need, you better be on a phone call this week 
Finding somebody who wasn't here and saying, man, how can I pray for you? I heard you were sick. Can I, can I pray for you? Can I bring you a pot of soup? Can I do something to carry you while you're struggling? That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. That's how this is supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> how many of you have been in the middle of it and somebody picked you up? That's how it's supposed to work. Thank you, Lord. I got people that love me. They want to put their arms around me and carry me when I can't walk. Thank you, Lord, that I got people around me who pray for me, who love me. Not because I'm their pastor, because I'm their brother. And last week, Two Wednesday nights ago, I was hurting, and I couldn't come here on Wednesday night. I was hurting bad. I hate not being here, and y'all know that. Can I tell you, I got text messages. Man, how's your back? You, do you know what that means? Do you know what that means? Just, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. Some of you guys send me text messages sometimes on Sunday morning. I'm praying for the service today. Listen, that's, that worth, that's worth more to me than 100 and a $50 bill. <laughs> it's worth more to me than you can ever, ever know. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go real quick. I'm going to give you six worship community, worship in community takeaways. Here we go. Number one, in the community, we are the body of Christ. And we are broken. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you the church is perfect. Because we're not. Because we're filled with imperfect people. In fact, if you want to know what's wrong with the church, you know how to find out what's wrong with the church? Ask somebody who hadn't been in a while. And they'll let you know what's wrong with us. It's full of hypocrites, probably. They're going to ask me for my money, probably. We got a light bill. Yeah, it's full of broken people. It's going to be broken. But watch what happens. When we come together and we do what Jesus said, and we gathered in his name, God arranges us in such a way that we are now 2.1 billion strong and the most significant, the most powerful, the most, the, the most loving, the most giving institution on the planet full of broken, messed up people just like me and you. Only God can do that. It takes a supernatural act to do that. We gather in his name. He puts us together. We become a living, breathing organism, not an organization. We're alive. Hey, there, there might be some dead churches, but it ain't here. It felt good. Number two, we're, we're better together. I say that a lot, but I, I, I need you to write that down. We're better together. The third thing I want you to write down is the church needs you. Don't believe this lie of the enemy. They'll do fine without me. We need you. But I don't really do anything. Well, you need to do something. <laughs> Is that... What, what, but, but, I, but we need you. We need you. We need you. And we're better to get. Without you, there's a missing piece. It's important that you're here. When I, I'm not really where I can do a, lot, a whole lot. Yes, you can. You can pray. 
but I'm not physically able to do some stuff. You can pray. You can love. You can smile. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that you don't have something to offer because you do. You're a big part of this place. I don't care if you're here just one time or if you're a lifelong life pointer. You're important. You're significant. It matters that you're here. Church needs you. Number four, you need the church. That's the other lie of the enemy. I don't, I can, I can worship God just right here in my own, with YouTube. Jesus didn't say, now listen, we're going to talk about private worship next week. But that ain't what we're talking about this week. I'm, I want you to understand that the two go together. And, and you can have a dynamic private worship life. But it's going to be an extension of your corporate worship. Jesus instituted the church for a reason. We need you and you need the church. Don't believe the lie of the enemy that I can be just fine spiritually without a group of people. That's not anywhere found in the New Testament. It's not there. Number five, the Great Commission can only be accomplished in the context of community. What did the first apostles do after Jesus gave them the Great Commission? Matthew 28, Great Commission says, I'm with you always. Go and make disciples of all the nations. And I'll be with you forever, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That was the Great Commission. What was the first thing the apostles do when they, after Jesus did that? They started planting churches. They started planting churches because we need each other. This doesn't work in isolation because, number six, the enemy does his best work in our isolation. And you know it's true. Stay sober by yourself. Doesn't work. Raise your child by yourself. Hey, listen, I know some of you have tried to do that. And, and, are, and are, are, hey, single parents, if I had a hat, I'd tip it to you. But that's all the more reason you need to be a part of a community. Here's what the enemy will do if he can get you alone. If he can get you alone, here's what the enemy will do. I read a book one time called Crash the Chatterbox. And it's all about this voice in your head. And the Bible says that when the enemy speaks, he speaks his native language, which is to lie. He'll say, you're better off without him. He'll say, all that stuff that he talks about, it's not real. Jesus was just a man. The Bible's not going to help you. You're better off by yourself. What a lie. What a lie. So listen, I don't know what you're struggling with. Some of you are, are hanging on to sobriety. Some of you are battling depression. The worst place you can be is by yourself. Listening to those lies of the enemy. You need to be around people who love you. Listen, you need to be around somebody who knows how to pray. I'm struggling financially. Get involved in a place that's going to teach you God's principles for handling your money. 
Oh, and then do it, by the way. All right. Our ushers are getting ready to, to serve you. The Lord's Supper. This is another thing that we do. And I, I told them in the prayer room, I, I pushed back a little bit about doing this on a regular basis because I never wanted it to become ritual. I never wanted it to become mundane when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because what we do today, it's, it's just like when Trent showed you that video last week, is we're remembering the sacrifice of Christ on the cross of Calvary. We're remembering the broken body of the Lord Jesus. And remembering the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And oh, by the way, when he instituted this process 2,000 years ago that we're celebrating tonight, today, guess what he was in? In community. He was with those that followed him the closest. He was with those that would eventually go out and and share his message to what is now 2.1 billion people strong. But it began in an upper room with Jesus and 12 of his closest followers. You guys can go ahead and start serving. And here's what he told them. You're going to see some things over the next couple of hours next few hours, next couple of days that you're not going to like. I'm going to get arrested and they're going to crucify me. But when you watch that, I want you to remember this night. So now, 2,000 years later, we've now looked back on, on the cross of Christ. And you know what we do? We remember that the reason He did that so we can know forgiveness of our sin. Anybody thankful to be forgiven today? The reason he did that is so we can know healing in our mind and in our bodies. The reason he did that is so we wouldn't have hope just in this life, but we would have hope for eternity. And so today we celebrate by receiving of the cup and receiving of the bread. And there... What we do today is significant because it causes us to remember what Jesus did.
The Bible says that in the night before he was betrayed, that Jesus gathered his disciples together in the upper room. He took a loaf of bread and he broke it. He said, this represents my body, which will be broken for you. And every time you partake of this bread, remember my broken body. So today when we partake, we remember the broken body of the Lord Jesus. Would you do that now? Father, we're thankful for the broken body of your son, Jesus, broken for our healing. We're thankful of God. The Bible says that after that, he took a cup and said, this cup represents my blood that is going to be shed for you for the remission of your sin. In other words, to wipe away your sin. How many know that Jesus didn't give you a band-aid? He washed it clean. And if you know him in the full part of your sin, you stand before him white as snow. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, before we take this cup, here's what I would challenge you to do. If you don't know Jesus, man. The Bible says if you confess him as Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, You'd be saved. I would challenge you to do that right now. Just confess him as Lord Almighty. Believe in your heart that he is who he said he was. The Bible says when you do that, you're born again. He took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. As often as you drink it, remember me. Let's do that now. Remember the shed blood of the Lord Jesus.